doing a road trip after college was really nice because I had a lot of time by myself and to figure out what I actually wanted to do. So in order to pay for my road trip, I picked up clients along the way. I didn't go out and be like, oh, I'm going to do this and that. It just kind of flowed because the music industry is fairly small. A lot of people work the same event, so then you just start to get referred and referred. Like I didn't spend any money on marketing. The first time I spent money on marketing was this year, and it wasn't all that much investment and it was ironic because then the pandemic hit so i couldn't even put the marketing stuff into place welcome you're listening to the young founders podcast this is a podcast that talks about the trials and tribulations as well as the triumphs of building a business at a young age this podcast is hosted by myself riley farbaugh and on this episode of the podcast we've got marina mccoy marina is a sustainability consultant and the founder of waste free earth a sustainability consulting and event production company based here in Burlington, Vermont. Marina and her team help businesses and events to become global leaders in environmental stewardship. Marina has been featured uh, on TED. She gave a TED talk in 2016 and she was also Vermont's 2019 Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm psyched to have you on. (laughs) Well, I didn't have to do that much research because we're good friends, so I kind of knew about you. I I know your background. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How old were you when you started Waste Free Earth? Well, the idea of Waste Free Earth started when I was 20 years old, like when I first led my department at a festival, but I didn't legally start the company until 2017 that makes sense like I was doing all the contract work I was a contractor for events being the sustainability director and then as we kept on getting more requests for proposals and it started to build I decided to found the company instead okay. of just having an Instagram page uh so you've talked about uh I think in your TED talk you talked about the friendly gathering and like mm-hmm. how that sort of inspired you talk about like what what sort of sparked this idea in your mind that you were going to consult with events and festivals to help them be more sustainable? It started when it was the summer of 2013. I was at the Friendly Gathering and I was walking back to the tent and there's glow sticks all over the ground and this group of girls walks by and they're like, oh, glow sticks are super bad for the environment and toxic for the ground. And in my head, I was like, oh yeah, F glow sticks, they suck. And all of us walked by. We didn't pick any up. I went back to my tent and noticed that my tent was glowing without me putting on the light and realized that I had glow sticks from my head down to my toes. And at that moment, I realized I was a hypocrite because I was studying sustainability while in college. And I thought just because I was studying sustainability, it made me uber sustainable and I didn't really have to practice what I was preaching. But from that moment on, I couldn't stop seeing waste wherever I looked and I became really obsessed with waste. My friends make fun of me because when I get really into something, I always create a challenge. <laughs> so it was like a challenge to become zero waste and figure out how we can influence thousands of people at once to reduce the overall waste consumption. And I saw that events were a great way of doing that. So I reached back out to the friendly gathering the next year and was like, hey, I would love to lead the sustainability program <laughs> at 20 years old. And they said they didn't have any money, but I could be their rock star volunteer. So I signed up immediately and 
after working with them for that event, they ended up paying me for it. And I signed like a multi-year contract with them and I was with them for five years. Now they're on hiatus, but it was so much fun. And I just picked up gigs outside of it, which brings me to actually how I started Race for Earth was the two nights before my TED talk. I I was doing the work, but like the name Race for Earth didn't start until October 2016 when I gave my TED talk. And I realized that I didn't have a company or a name to go under. So I was like, I should probably create that. And I was house sitting this house out in Tahoe where I gave a TED talk and where I used to live. And I was on the couch watching the dogs. And I made Waste Free Earth, the Instagram and Facebook page, and then went legal in 2017. <laughs> Love it. So a lot of people like, you know, preach sustainability and, you know, study sustainability. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it about like waste, like zero waste that really drew you to that movement versus like, you know, reducing carbon emissions or? Yeah, like sustainability is a very broad yeah. subject. Yeah. So there's so many different pieces to it. For me, waste, it's something, and honestly it pisses me off how little attention it gets because when you think of the carbon emissions and the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and all those other things that go into climate change, production is kind of at the root of it. Like we have an overconsumption lifestyle, it's convenient space and it's single use. So that relates back to waste. So if we start reducing our waste consumption, then all the other factors that relate to climate change will reduce as well. But it's not talked about. When in my alternative energy class, we barely talked about waste and like biomass. It was all about renewable energy with solar and wind which has like their own negative externalities too. So why isn't race getting talked about? And it's something that people could actually see compared to when I was interning with Protect Our Winters. And we had to talk about climate change and try to get people to buy in for it. But it was hard because people couldn't see the ice caps melting or the greenhouse gases being emitted into the atmosphere. They couldn't really connect with it. So I was trying to figure out a way to hook them. And with waste, there's no denial of it. You can't say that our convenience-based lifestyle doesn't have a negative effect on the environment when you look at Bird Island or like the um, like pile of garbage <laughs> just like out of landfill or in the ocean. It's like you can't, it didn't come out of thin air. So for me, waste is something that all of us produce that we could at least minimize by a little bit. Okay. So you go to Friendly Gathering mm-hmm. You get inspired by these people, you know, picking up uh, uh, glow sticks. No, they didn't pick them up. That they was didn't what, pick them yeah, up. Okay, and that that made you mad. Yeah. Okay, well, so the I'm next year, the next year you volunteer there, mm-hmm. and then they decide to pay you. They put you on contract. That was your first client. Yeah, the friendly gathering. And then you sort of you you picked up other clients along the way. When did that sort of go from like? I want to I want to volunteer and help pick up trash and and minimize waste to this could be a, a valid business that I can grow and mm. and sustain myself with. Well, I only volunteered, I guess technically at the friendly gathering. I'm not really a music festival attendee person, which is pretty ironic since I work in the music industry. <laughs> but it was, I just kept on doing it because I was passionate about it. I was in school and I loved to double dip. So I was doing my school projects on sustainability within the music industry and was just picking up clients while I was in school. And 
it was honestly really awesome to skip a week of school to be like, hey, like my client wants me out in Colorado, <laughs> which is kind of cool to do when you're a Super junior cool. in college and then a senior. I wasn't really thinking about it. And then when I graduated in 2016, I didn't really know what I wanted to do just yet. I knew that I would figure it out. So I bought a van and then converted it, like a sprinter van, converted it into a living area. And that's how I really built up my client base. So when you start in the music industry, you re- like, they rarely pay for your lodging and travel up front. Like you have to work your way up to it. So when I would pitch to the festivals, it's like, oh, you don't have to worry about my travel or lodging. Like I'll come to you. I have lodging all taken care of. And that's how I built my client base. And then the next year after that, everything was starting to get paid for. And then it was mainly my parents and family that was like, what are you going to actually do? Marina, <laughs> like, oh, I can't imagine myself doing something different. And that's when I really started to get legal. But the company looked into how to grow it, moved back to Vermont. So I went to school out, out in Tahoe and moved back here in 2017. Then moved up to Burlington in 2018, got an office and have really been putting my head down to just grow it even more. So 2016 was the first year that you, you really started to like focus on the business, travel to events. Or it predates that, or kind of. So in 2016, I was. Did you buy the van to to support the business, or did you get into the? Okay, so you bought the van, (laughs) thinking I want to travel, and then you were like, oh, and this is perfect because I can travel to events. Yeah. And and pick up new clients. I wanted to hike around national parks, so I. I don't know, I, doing a road trip after college was really nice because I had a lot of time by myself and to figure out what I actually wanted to do. So in order to pay for my road trip, I picked up clients along the way. I didn't go out and be like, oh, I'm going to do this and that. It just kind of flowed because the music industry is fairly small. A lot of people work the same event, so then you just start to get referred and referred. Like I didn't spend any money on marketing. The first time I spent money on marketing was this year, and it wasn't all that much investment and it was ironic because then the pandemic hit so i couldn't even put the marketing stuff into place (laughs) but i made it this far with bad timing yeah bad timing okay so word of mouth and referrals has been your Mm -hmm. most effective strategy for getting new clients okay Mm -hmm. client relationships are really really important yeah to me so i make sure that like i'll send them customer feedback surveys and just check in with them on site and then even afterwards really create that circle of trust and a lot of producers talk to other producers and it just naturally goes off that I don't ask them to do it but if you work really hard and you are a pleasure to work with you're bound to get referred and to me that's not fake because I just like doing that anyways as a human and now having all these business mentors and like doing things like this People ask me what the process was, but I didn't know any of this when I was doing it. <laughs> it just made sense. Totally. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I feel the same way. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because you're the first guest that I've had on the podcast that has built a services business versus mm-hmm. like a, a retail product-based business. Yeah. Uh, like what what have you learned over the past several years of like dealing with clients and, you know, how to build relationships, how to sell and, and how to scale a business like that? Ooh. So first and foremost, I hate selling. That's definitely my weak point because 
in order to grow the business, you definitely need to put yourself out there and do those sales type calls. Um, but it just seems really unauthentic to me. So I don't know. It's I reach out to business mentors all the time. There's this awesome like in Vermont, we're so fortunate to have so much support from the government. I remember when I registered my company in Vermont, I got an automatic email from the governor and they're like, thank you for being a company in Vermont. Here's all these resources. And I just clicked on every single link and then emailed all of them and took all the free business calls and then being a part of VSET where there's free business mentorship and just ask a ton of questions and not being afraid to say, I don't know. Like I didn't know how to price myself and that was a huge mistake because I was under budgeting myself constantly and especially when I started the business I was still in multi-year contracts with companies so I wasn't even breaking even on some of the events because now I had this business where I had payroll I had insurance like all this other stuff and where before I was just like a subcontractor so it's definitely um, trial and error for sure and it's something new like it's a service that I'm providing, but also it's not your standard service. Like when I would go onto Google and ask like, how much does a sustainability director charge for a festival? There was nothing coming back. It's still so new within the industry and just events in general that it's really hard to pinpoint yourself and like ask for a valid price. So reaching out to people, I, ha I was just asking people, like looking at me and all the work I do, how much should I charge? And that honestly helped a lot with figuring out my pricing framework. So a couple things there. One, you were on really the cutting edge of like sustainability mm -hmm. consulting. This was kind of a new field at yeah. the time. So you didn't really have anyone who you could look mm -hmm. up to and say, hey, like you've built a successful sustainability consulting business. Help me yeah. out here. You didn't have that. No. So it, I mean, is it fair to say that like you kind of were like, didn't know what you were doing off the bat? <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel, honestly, with, with my agency. It's like, I started, I didn't know what I was doing, but like, I made it yeah. work. No, it's totally, <laughs> I look back on when I was like 20 years old making these budgets for yeah. 10,000 person events. Like, what the heck was I doing? Yeah. And just looking at how my email language has transformed and the proposals. It, there was just not much information out there. There's information for successful waste management companies at events, but that's not what we do. Like we'll take over the waste for events under usually like 20,000, but if we go over 20,000 people, it takes away from all of our programs that we do. Cause we intersect ourselves within every single department of the event. And if we had to worry about staffing a hundred people for the cleanup crew, that would just take away from it. And we're not really at that level. So we'll contract out the waste management and have them follow our strategies to make sure that it's zero waste. But yeah, it's, it was, uh, it was tough and it's still tough because like I, now I get asked when people, because the market is kind of booming or like more people are entering the field. I'll say more people are entering the field, not that the market is booming. So more people are entering the field and I'm listed as like an authority and expert and they're asking me how to charge and how I did this and that. I was like, oh, I'm still learning too. <laughs> but cool that you look at me like that. Totally. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned VSET. Both of our, both of us are part of that mm -hmm. community here in Burlington. They've obviously been a huge support to myself and my business. Super grateful to be involved with mm -hmm. that. Uh, how ha how has VSET helped you succeed with your business? 
Man, I am in love with VSET. <laughs> I actually wrote them a love letter <laughs> today via email. Um, so I found out about VSET. So I moved up to Burlington in the fall of 2018, got an office at this other place. And it wasn't what I was looking for. Like I really wanted the mentorship and talking to other entrepreneurs because it's really lonely and it's super frustrating at times. So my advisor from the Small Business Council who I met through that email that the governor sent out. She told me about VSET. She's like, Marina, you would be perfect for it. And I never even heard about VSET before then. I And it's like a little oasis, I would say. I did a tour with Phoebe. And today's actually my one-year anniversary of being in VSET. But they offer so much support, like mentally, physically. They like You could bounce ideas off of them during this pandemic. Since like we were hit really hard with it, I immediately reached out to Dave and Sam and they offered support. We got on some Zoom calls. They offered like, okay, you could go down this way or go that route. And they're still thinking of me and send me emails. And that, it hasn't just been the pandemic that they've done that, but just throughout the whole year. I can't believe it's only been a year because I feel like I've been supported by them for multiple years and just the knowledge that they bring to the table and the community that they create there. It's, I hope that like every entrepreneur has a place like that. Yeah, it's a pretty special mm-hmm. place. Uh, okay, so you start your business in 2015, 2016, something yeah. like that. <laughs> you, you have five years of operating experience under you in the mm-hmm. event industry, and then there's a global pandemic, <laughs> and the event industry is decimated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens then? You, you pivot. Talk about that. Yeah. Oh man, that sucked <laughs> so, so much. And I still have a wound from it. It was, it was tough because I, the one week I got awarded the Young Entrepreneur of the, the Year. So on that Monday, I got awarded and I was like letting people know. I was really excited. And then by that Friday, I lost all of my clients so it was like this huge high met with this massive low and we were on track to double like almost triple our sales we had all these high level clients coming up it was going to be our best year yet and obviously i am still a little sad about it but knowing that we didn't lose our clients because of our work ethic and like what we produce because we actually have a hundred percent return rate in client clients and then also client satisfaction but like we lost them because of the pandemic because events can't happen. So after I started losing my first couple of ones, I acted fast. Like I reached out to Dave and Sam. I connected with other people within VSET just to get everything moving. And I'm glad I did because I believe I was ahead of the curve with it. Because if I sat in my sorrow, which was really hard not to, um, I think it would have been harder for me to pitch to companies. And now I'm doing content writing and creation for companies. I'm building zero-waste strategies for different organizations. I'm doing virtual workshops, which has been really successful as well. So I'll go and teach like a Zoom call to people about zero-waste living, which is really awesome. And they're paying me for that. And then they see that their employees start thinking about zero waste and sustainability within their company, which in turn like saves them money and helps them be really innovative as well. Uh, 
you mentioned you have a hundred percent client return rate. Like mm-hmm. I know, you know, talk about some of what you've been able to accomplish because you've diverted an incredible amount of waste. Like, do you track these stats internally? Mm-hmm. Like, how how do you measure success for your business? On multiple different levels, I would say. Obviously, there's a waste, and we've diverted over half a million pounds of waste away from the landfill, but that's not really telling the whole stories. So, like, diversion is when you're diverting waste away from the landfill into composting, recycling, and donation initiatives, but you're still creating waste. So now we're trying to, ca- trying to calculate how much waste we've eliminated because we do a lot of reusable programs. So that's not shown in the diversion rate. So we're trying to figure out how much waste we has not been produced because of our reusable cup programs, our reusable plate programs, our free water refill station programs, all that stuff. And we don't have the metrics on that. But the success for me, I had this client that when we got on, they didn't really care about sustainability. They're really doing it for marketing potential. But through just practicing what we preach and leading by example and inspiration, now I have the department heads emailing me being like, hey, like, do you think this is sustainable? We want to do something like this. Like they're thinking about now and then it ripples down to their whole department. And then it creates for a much more sustainable event because we can only do so much because then we leave a lot up to the like event organizers as well and then the attendees. But we make sure that they have a whole website set up that talks about sustainability, their newsletter is set up with it, and also their social media. <laughs> the dog. I'm not to lose my it. dog Jeremiah is just like <laughs> gulping down water in the background right now. <laughs> Uh, Marina, what advice would you give to a young founder with an idea and how does that advice change as the business grows and evolves, right? So take us from like, okay, this person has an idea, but they haven't executed on anything yet. What's your advice to them? And then as their business gets some traction, what Mm -hmm. tips do you have? So for the first one, definitely mentorship, not being afraid to reach out and do as much research as you can. Like I went to a field that didn't really have much out there, but I still spent time to research and look for anything that was kind of relatively close to what I was doing. And that just helped so much. At first I was afraid to ask for help because I didn't want to admit that maybe I wasn't doing something right. But man, once I started to actually ask for help and feedback, it was amazing to see how my business started to grow. And then if you, I think it's both ways, like mentorship is amazing because even when you are running, you're going to run into stuff that you need to adjust and it's nice to have an unbiased opinion because you're, as an entrepreneur, you're so close to your company and it's hard to make decisions sometimes because you think it's the right one, but having outsiders' opinions are like, no, this is probably the route you should do, which is really nice. It doesn't mean that they're always right and that doesn't mean that you're always wrong or right but it's good to at least make an educated um, decision with that and let's see if you're in oh taking care of your clients so if you're in business taking care of your clients because it's a lot easier to keep your clients happy than to go out and get new clients and that's been a big focus for us and then we get referred and then it happens naturally but I feel like a lot of Companies at first think about how they just want to bring so many clients in and in, in, and then they lose that connection with one of their longtime clients or a client that really could have turned into something 
big. So taking care of your current clients and not always focusing on trying to get more and more and more because then you're kind of end up losing it. But this is coming from a service space. So a lot of it relies off of our personal connection. So I don't know too much about product stuff, but I feel like I know my dad, he was in retail and people loved working with him. So they would give him like good deals and it just kind of goes to show like how much customer appreciation is really important. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that like when I look back on myself starting in business, like I wish that I had had someone tell me like, look, relationships and people are going to be way Mm -hmm. more important than you think. Even regardless of how important you think, double it. Like they're they're going to be way more important. Right. Uh, What? So with that said, that was one of my earliest mistakes. Like what do you wish you had known off the bat? building your business like what what would you have done differently oh man the under budgeting man really really sucked it that's it's hard because who's so when you say under budgeting do you mean like under pricing and proposals or you okay proposals yeah yeah. not under budgeting the programs but which you know that happens too you there's a lot of being a consultant people don't always see how much time you're putting into something to create the system so it actually works. Like, oh, like this is so easy. It doesn't take you long to produce. Like, no, that took me a really long time to create this system so it feels like you don't have to do anything. Like that's what we want from it. So that, and still to this day, like we have to fight to be paid fairly and like we do the proposals and now I'm better at, okay, I'm not gonna negotiate the price but I'd rather negotiate the scope of work so we could scale down instead of adding more to my plate for a low, low budget. It's just, they're not going to get good work from it. And I'm not going to be super enthused during it. And to me, making sure my clients are happy is really important. So if they can't afford our services, then they'd rather just keep like a good relationship, just like a colleagues and maybe eventually down the line, but it's just not worth it to me anymore. Just to pick up a client, just to pick up a client. Totally agree. Um, how how do you manage those expectations with your clients, and and how do you, you know, you talked to, you mentioned negotiating where like you know if if someone tries to decrease the price, you decrease the scope or whatever. But what I mean, what can you say around like making sure that you're generating the amount of revenue that you need to for the scope of work that you're you're doing, or you know how how do you make sure that you're not underpricing yourself? Yeah, that's really, it's like the magic question. <laughs> I wish I had the, the answer. We have an idea now. I almost could hear when I'm on, like, I guess the sales call, if they're going to have the budget for us. So I usually ask right off the bat, do you have a budget set aside for the services? And if they say no, then I know that there's not going to be a budget or they're expecting to get something really low. Because we, we're, you know, we're not a non profit business and I feel like because we do environmental work people think that's supposed to be really cheap because it's for the environment but I'm also a social response like a socially responsible company where I want to pay my employees a livable wage and offer them all the benefits so it's a higher price tag and I do think it's unfair that people price environmental work low it's definitely should be towards the top um, so just going through the interview process a little bit more on the sales call to see what they want 
and because we don't charge for the proposal so a lot of time goes into it and if they don't have a budget for it or like sometimes it's like oh we have like a grand set of signs like you want five people (laughs) (laughs) there and to just be honest with them and no hard feelings like i'm sorry like it will be like a waste of your time and a waste of our time and not leaving you know not burning any bridges whatsoever but Spending that time initially in the pitching process saves us so much time in the long run. So then we're not under budgeted and we're not undervalued for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if there's anyone listening in a services mm-hmm. business right now, like my biggest advice is if you ever feel like you're being underpaid, don't do the work. Mm-hmm. Like don't take it's the contract. Not worth it. Right. Because uh, one, like you won't be able to over deliver the way that you want to yeah. because you'll feel like even if you're just doing what you said you would, you're still being underpaid. So you're mm-hmm. not going to go above and beyond. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then I feel like in general, clients who don't have budgets mm-hmm. are somehow also the clients that like demand the most. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Some of my lowest paying clients expect so much from us. And it's just like, get like, it's just take, take, take. And at first, it was, you know, okay, because I was building my company, but now we have clients that really value us, and it's not fair to take away what we're like, going to give them to the people that don't pay us fairly for it. Yeah, it's, it's totally, totally not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the biggest mistake that you've made building this business, Marina? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, so much. Jeremiah is interested in your response to this question. It's the biggest mistake. Oh, probably not writing a business plan. Because, again, like I am in service, but we do have overhead costs. Like we have payroll. Just knowing the financials. I, you know, I have a business degree on top of my sustainability degree, and we didn't really talk about all the other expenses 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 that go into creating a business like what kind of insurance you would need payroll and then reoccurring bills and all the different software it's like we were building business plans for made made up but like a, a made up world it was really weird um so i wouldn't spend a ton of time writing a full business plan but there's a business canvas now which i think is really helpful to get an idea of your mission and vision and all that stuff, but really knowing your financials and target market, that would have been really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, really hard to do when you're in business. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I also think that uh, especially for like solo founders who, you know, are not venture funded, like jumping from a consultancy to a business with, employees is like a really big step and that's uh, maybe a little easier if you really understand like all right if this business had three employees like here's what our expenses would look like and here's what we would have to be generating in revenue and like then you know what your target is to get to that next stage Mm -hmm. um you've talked about payroll and and your team a little bit tell tell me more about your team and and what kind of roles each of you fill on a daily basis my team is so badass. <laughs> you Sorry can't swear swore. on the podcast. 
love my team so much. There are children listening. <laughs> I got so fortunate with the team that I have, and it happened really organically. Sydney, who's been with me the longest, I actually did like an appreciation for her the other day because she, it was when I was really starting to get more clients that I needed some extra help and to pay people. It was 2017 at the Friendly Gathering. We offered up internships for the sustainability and she, like I ended up giving it to her mainly, I got so many applicants and it was actually really overwhelming and she was the only one who followed up. I was like, oh, she followed up sweet. Like we had an awesome phone call and she came in with her fanny pack and scissors ready to totally crush it. (laughs) We had an amazing time and she's been with me for a while traveling all over the country. I ended up hiring her on. She was an intern. So after that, I ended up bringing her on for the whole tour of like the rest of the summer. And then Alex is another one of my main girls and she... Actually, you met her and B said she came up to help with business development for a month at the beginning of the year because we were like experiencing like a pretty big growth stage. But she was a local hire in Memphis for an event that we were working and she again followed up as well. Like we got all these applicants and she was the only one who followed up not once but like multiple times and she had this live resume. It was awesome. So hired her on and from the moment I met her too, things clicked and then I hired her to come work events all over the country. She's been a dream and actually me, Sydney and Alex are all working on, cause we're with the redirection of the company we're making all these downloadable packets for sustainable education and zero waste education for people like all different ages. And uh, yeah, it's really cool to work with them on it. But everyone else has been usually like a volunteer that I just see their work ethic and I ask them if they would want to do paid gigs with us in the future so it's been kind of really internal yeah uh you've got you started out in like tahoe you're Mm -hmm. in burlington now you do a lot of traveling like is your team pretty remote at this stage or 100 percent remote okay yeah how do you how how do you manage a remote team like that how do you build culture how important Mm -hmm. is that to you Oh, culture is really important. We have in our onboarding documents that our company culture is quirky and goofy (laughs) and fun, but like hard work comes first. Um, The company culture really is built when we're on site at events. So it takes a certain type of person. Like we do the consulting and like execution of the programs beforehand and then closing them out after the event. But when we're on site, we're usually getting our hands pretty dirty so it takes a per- certain personality to get on there to be able to speak in front of a ton of people, but then also sort through all the ways back of house. And that's just when things get really fun. <laughs> we call it the bone zone where we sort through <laughs> all the waste. Um, so that's really where it's built. And then that just transfers on to when we're doing the consulting and the pre-logistical work before the event use Slack, emails a lot. Google Docs has been really helpful because if we're working on a contract together, like proposal or the wrap reports afterwards, we could just comment to each other. But we talk on the phone a lot and we were doing Google Hangouts before the pandemic. And now, right now, um, as we don't really have um, the events, we still want to all hang out. So I have like trashy cocktail hour on Wednesday nights, which is like our waste-free Wednesday. 
ironically, like none of us <laughs> drink while we're on it. <laughs> but it's still fun to have it and just knowing that if they ever feel feel undervalued or underappreciated, that they could always reach out to me. I relay that to them all the time so that they know that their feedback is really valuable no matter what. And I don't want them to ever be afraid to speak up if they feel like we could be doing something differently, especially more efficiently. I don't want you get narrow minded. So it's nice to have an outsider's perspective. Totally agree. Okay, so in in the early days of mm-hmm. Waste Free Earth, you're you're a junior, senior in college. Mm-hmm. You know, next couple years, you're traveling around the country. You know, now you you've got a, a team. You're the Young Entrepreneur of the Year. You've got a mm-hmm. TED Talk. But back then, how did you sort of keep yourself motivated and you know, were you were you seeing this vision back then, or what kept you going? Oh, I'm just. I guess I'm a go getter. <laughs> My brother actually called me out on it when he was home visiting for Easter. <laughs> he was like, "Your motivation is almost annoying." <laughs> I, I get that from just, my brother, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I get it from my dad. He's just, he was always doing something. And that's how I'm wired, too. I just always need to be doing something. And it's nice to put that energy towards work. And I, I'm a mission-driven individual and also, like, solutions-oriented. So my work connects with all those levels. And I feel like I am living out my values as well. So it doesn't feel like work. Too much of the time when I have to do general business stuff, not really what I fancy <laughs> so much. It's the education and the outreach and getting people stuck on sustainability. I love that. And it doesn't feel like I'm working long hours. But yeah, I don't know. I don't drink caffeine either. So my friends and family are always super amazed with it. I guess it's just kind of gain a routine. I have a grateful journal, so like I'll write that in the morning and have like reflection at night, and I'm really goals oriented, and I love whiteboards. So in my room, I have a whiteboard there that I organize my short term goals, my long term goals, and then my financial goals. And when I wake up, I look at them and I try to set my day around them. And then at night, I kind of review if I did anything to like work more towards those goals, and that's really helpful. And knowing that some days like you're not totally gonna do anything to go towards them you're gonna have a lazy day but there's room for that but goals are really important it helps me navigate and figure out the path and just dissecting them more and more it's fun my friends tell me a little crazy (laughs) about it but it's nice uh so your dad was an inspiring individual Mm -hmm. for you who else in your life has inspired you and and how Oh, man. So Madonna Dunbar is a huge inspiration. She runs multiple different things at If Good Waste Not. I don't, she does a lot of stuff with their waste. So If Good Waste Not is Incline Village, um, their waste program, which is where my school was out in Tahoe. And when I was starting all the sustainability stuff at my school, she was reaching out and I would work with her at events since they did the zero waste stuff. They're like a government organization. They did the zero waste stuff for some of the events in Tahoe. She was just such a huge support. And every time I'm out in Tahoe, we still have lunch and we talk throughout the year. And she's been really 
really incredible and a go-getter. So it was nice to look up to her in many ways and just as a role model that I inspired to be is Jamie Knack. And I worked with her once before and we try to work together again. But she does like fully sustainable events when they're looking at the carbon footprint analysis and what type of generator they're using and what type of gas, like all this stuff that I really want to get into too. But we're working our way up to those higher higher level clients. But she's extremely intellectual, but she doesn't come off like that either. She is just so humble about all of the achievements that she's done. It's pretty incredible. So those are my two role models outside of my dad. <laughs> Marina, what do you consider your own greatest achievement? Hmm. Having a business that I really enjoy doing it's I feel so fortunate every single day to be doing something that I love to do and I'm excited to build a new program or to like write something about sustainability and to educate people and talking to some of my friends when they're in jobs that they don't like too much it's it's very humbling and grounding in ways and I just hope that other people have a chance to experience that as well so yeah that's my favorite part of my job an accomplishment. Uh, if you had an extra four hours in your day, how would you spend it? Sleeping, honestly, I do not sleep much. <laughs> <laughs> I probably average like four or five hours of actual sleep a night. You need more sleep. I know, and I try. I really do try. Like I get into bed and then I'm just hanging in there for two hours tossing and turning so I've been trying to like meditate and do yoga before and uh, read my book and to not have the blue light on not have my phone not have my computer but because I can't fall asleep then I just start cleaning my room and organizing and doing <laughs> stuff I'm gonna be really sick to get a full eight hours of sleep and like occasionally I'll catch up on all my sleep but it would be nice to be consistent with it that and dancing would probably be the two. I love to dance. Okay, new movie hits the box offices, mm -hmm. co-starring Marina McCoy. Oh God. Riley Farbaugh. Oh God. <laughs> What's the name of the movie? What's the movie about? Man. <laughs> <laughs> we like we, it would be mostly movie. outside. Yeah. Be definitely based Park. outside. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Maybe Yellowstone or something. It would be. Yeah, national parks, ice cream. I could love. see us like taming buffaloes in Yellowstone with ice cream cones. Really? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I don't as much, but <laughs> we could go with that. Soft serve ice cream <laughs> in national parks. Yeah, I would say that, yeah, relentless remote entrepreneurs <laughs> true because <laughs> i have a pop-up desk in my van <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh what is the worst advice that you've ever been given or heard given from a, an entrepreneurial standpoint to not write a business plan okay the successful ceo told me not to spend my time writing a business plan so i didn't and again, I, just, I wish I knew my financials. What parts of the business plan? So the financials, financials and okay. the target market. Okay. That would have helped out a little bit. And just, you know, our mission and vision has changed so much as we're growing. Like it's even changing now since now we're doing zero waste strategies for events. So it's not just 
I mean, for businesses, it's not just event specific now. And now we have this educational side too. So that changes as you grow, but just having a sense of the financials is really nice because I had no idea how much insurance like in the, in the umbrella insurance for the event industry and payroll. Like it's not like you're paying someone $25 an hour. It's $25 an hour plus a payroll and the workers comp and the tax. And there's a lot added into it. And I just didn't learn that in my business classes. Just shocking. Uh, what's the best advice? Mm. You can't say write a business plan. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's super cliche, though. My dad is a huge supporter, and he always said, and this is not his quote, because it's someone else who said it, which I don't know, but my dad would always say it to me, if you find a job you like, you never have to work a day in your life. And he has just told me that from the beginning. Like, are you happy? Like, are you able to pay your bills? Sweet. <laughs> that to him is success, and that's me a success, and that's why I get... So annoying when I go to these conferences and talk to other business people, like entrepreneurs, and they're always talking about like how much money do you make, how much this, how much that. It's like, do you like the job that you're doing? Like, is it meaningful to you? Like, that to me is success, and that has a lot. Like my favorite um, author and role model that I look up to that I don't know is Simon Sinek, and he talks about that a lot. It's like, what actually is success? If you're just measuring it by the numbers, that's not success like to me it's enjoying what I do knowing that I'm doing something that means a lot and like helping out the environment and the people um you talked a little bit about the mission and the vision of the company Mm -hmm. talk more about that how that guides you guys I mean we talked about the pivot so like Mm -hmm. your business model has kind of shifted recently from events towards like services but how has your mission and vision kept you going in the same direction well the mission has always been like that we want to inspire people to live a more waste-free type of lifestyle so now we just have different stakeholders or clients it's not just events now like we were going for events and inspiring attendees to live a more waste-free type of lifestyle also with like the artists and the producers and all stuff members and now with businesses we're inspiring them to live a more waste-free type of lifestyle and then with education with our workshops our sustainability seminars and now our booklets and packets it's still waste-free so it's still all the same mission it's just applied differently um winding down here uh what book or books would you recommend to a young entrepreneur all of simon sinek's (laughs) And I also recommend listening to all the podcasts that he guest stars in because he doesn't have his own podcast. He also has one of the all-time most viewed TED Talks. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Start with why. So I'm actually just got done almost getting done reading Start With Why again for the second time because he made a book club. So, of course, I wanted to join on for that. That has been in... Incredible. And then also the imposter syndrome. That was really helpful too. Um, and for like people that don't know the imposter syndrome, it's just it talks about how like you feel like you're not worthy of like the work that you do, that you don't like you're faking it till you make it, which I definitely have fallen under that. Like, oh if I don't know something, I'll just fake it till you make it. But that's actually 
hurting you overall. Like if you just keep on thinking like that, it's like, no, you have the skill sets. People are hiring you for a reason. Don't be overly humble. I think that's a good amount of humbleness. It's just, you know, like don't discredit yourself. So those two books, but really all of Simon Sinek, like eaters, leaders eat last is so awesome. And it talks about leadership, different types of leadership and emotional intelligence 2.0. Is that a Simon Sinek book? No, it's not. Oh, okay. I actually don't remember the author, but I'm really into emotional intelligence because it's really important to understand how you lead and how other people like view leaders and also knowing what your triggers are. Like for me, I hate excuses. I'd rather have someone communicate with me right off the bat. I don't want to hear an excuse. And it talks about communication. That means so much to me. So when I onboard my interns or my employees, I let them know I'd rather have you tell me in advance if you're not going to make a deadline instead of you making up an excuse the day the deadline is due so then I could prepare. But that's a weakness, but now I know to communicate it to people. But I think it's a good weakness to have to not put up with excuses. Uh, what, what else have you learned about managing other people? I really like the lead from behind method, which Simon Sinek talks about. It, um, leaders eat last it's so important to make your employees feel like they have like value that they could speak up if they see a system working inefficiently it's just the old model of leadership demanding people to do stuff and like that's a sign of a good leader just doesn't work with me it's a sign of a good leader is when everyone kind of leads together like you have you know there's always a certain leader that's distributing tasks but that respect levels there when everyone feels value and that circle of trust so that people will love to come to work and want to continue to help out the company in scary times like right now per se when there's a pandemic because they care about your overall mission they care about you as a leader if you're going through a time like this and you were just constantly like you know degrading your employees they're not going to be standing by you as much, or they're going to be scared. And like, that's why they do it, but they're not going to produce good work. Yeah. All right. Last question here coming up real quick. Don't forget to connect with, with Marina, uh, on Instagram at sustainability boss lady, uh, check out waste free earth at, uh, www.wastefree.earth. Yeah. And what's your Instagram handle for, do you have a, do you have a business Instagram yeah, page? Waste free earth. At Waste Free Earth. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on, Marina. Appreciate Thanks, having Riley. you on the podcast. Uh, any parting words? Anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Ooh, anything I want to plug? Well, you know I hate sales. <laughs> 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 I would just uh, make sure to check out Waste Free Earth's website in the next coming weeks or whenever this, I guess it might be a little bit when this is broadcasted so it's probably already updated by now with all of our new information and tips and tricks to get you on a waste-free type of lifestyle so stay tuned follow marina on instagram for her what would marina do wednesdays yes yeah if you follow me on personal instagram and tune into her new sustainability workshops virtual Mm -hmm. workshops all right what is your Mm -hmm. definition of entrepreneurship I've actually never gotten that question before. Oh, that one's an on-the-spot one. My definition of entrepreneurship is lots of 
not being afraid to admit when you're wrong and be able to pivot and let go of certain aspects of your business to further on the success of your business. So yeah, going through the trial and errors, like being an entrepreneur to me is not being afraid to go through lots of trials and errors and failures and to being able to pivot when, you know, the cards are dealt that way. It sucks like leaving a little part of your business behind for a little bit. It's not like a really big definition, but that's parts of it. Awesome podcast. This was fun. (laughs) Hey folks, it's Riley Farbaugh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Young Founders Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this episode, if you got any value from it, please help spread the word. Post a screenshot to your Instagram story. Tell us what episodes you've been listening to on Twitter. Share an episode with your Facebook fam. Text someone a link to an episode if you think they benefit from it. And please leave us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Anything you guys can do to help us out is so helpful to us and very, very much appreciated. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Riley Farah. Find Nate at NT Bowl. You can also find every episode of the Young Founders podcast at theyoungfounders.com. We've also compiled a bunch of resources there to help you guys out on your journey towards creating a profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling business for yourselves. And if there's anything Nate and I can do to help you guys out along the way, please reach out to us. We both love connecting with other young entrepreneurs, and we're happy to help in any way that we can. Also, if you think you or someone you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the podcast, let us know that also. We're always looking for cool new guests. You can DM us or go to theyoungfounders.com slash apply and fill out the short form there. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Young Founders Podcast. We'll see you next time.